Well, a couple things. That's just part of community to uh, celebrate as well. Um, I didn't ask permission, but Kobe said that I didn't need permission. Uh, we wanted to say a blessing and a congratulations to Denny and Kelly Klein, who uh, we've been journeying with them in their adoption of Stella, which was finalized this week. And so we give thanks to God. For that. And it's good to have our former pastor, uh, Mike Colleen, and associate pastor, Mike Colleen, and uh, his family here uh, visiting, so welcome to them uh, as well. Today we're continuing in our series called Faith in Action. And last week we talked about uh, that, that we have some choices in life. We can either take the usual route, um, whatever the usual route looks like, or we can be open to God to take a detour if he wants to interrupt our schedule, if he wants to interrupt our calendar or interrupt our plan. And, uh, and I actually heard from, uh, from a number of you this week that said, uh, that whole detour thing, that really messed up my life. Um, and so I just thanks be to God for that. Um, I love to hear those stories as you are open to what God is doing for you. This week we're going to look at uh, seeing people through Christ's eyes. How many of you have some kind of vision problem? Glasses, contacts, something? I mean, the majority, uh, and you younger folks, you will raise your hand someday along the way. There are a lot of ways that uh, vision uh, affects us. And so I Googled some of the the most known ones. I I was a little little hesitant in first service because Karen Kinsler was here, and she works at an eye doctor, and I know that I was not pronouncing any of these things correct. In fact, one, I just asked her, was this correct? And Karen says, no. Um, so, um, just, I'm going to treat this like most pastors treat Old Testament names. We just read them and just assume you think we're smart and know how to pronounce them. Um, so here's a list of some of the uh, most common things that affect our eyesight. Uh, amblyopia, prop, uh, known as lazy eye. Color blindness, the inability to distinguish between some colors. Dry eye syndrome, the inability to produce tears. Hyperopia. The inability to see near objects clearly. Myopia, the inability to see distant objects clearly. Uh, Presbyopia, which is Greek for elder eye, difficulty seeing things up close when you're 40 or older. (laughs) I think I have every one of these uh, to to check off. Uh, I don't know what this is. Karen told me I didn't know what it was either. Anybody know? No, you don't either. So misaligned eyes is what it means. I got to thinking about that and thinking about these things that affect our our physical vision and realize that our vision is not just affected by the physical. Our vision is also affected by the spiritual. In fact, each one of these things up here, I think, could have a spiritual component to them. A spiritual lazy eye. We may see a problem, but we don't do anything about it. Spiritual color blindness. We may not pay as much attention to the plight of some people because of their race or their nationality. Spiritual dry syndrome. We may lack compassion. We might not cry or don't hurt for people who are hurting. Spiritual farsightedness. We may give to overseas missions but miss out in the pain in our own local community. Spiritual nearsightedness. We might not see uh, about the impoverished countries or missions that are, that are outside of our country because if they're not our red-blooded Americans, we don't pay attention. Spiritual 
presobiopia, whatever that is. And this one hit me a little hard. Our compassion for people can tend to grow weaker as we get older. Spiritual misaligned eyes. We may have eyes that are focused more on things of the world than they are on the things of the kingdom. There's an interesting passage in the Bible. It's not our primary passage we're going to look at this morning, but, but it serves as, as kind of eye-opening, pun intended, um, this morning as an illustration. So let me read it for you. It's Mark chapter 8, starting at verse 22. It says, They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. And when he had spit on the man's eyes, put his hands on him. Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were open, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. It's kind of an unusual passage. Jesus spitting on the eyes and touching the eyes. And, and there are a number of, of scholars who say that, that perhaps what Jesus is doing here is, is, is here's a guy whose eyes have been crusted over for a long time, probably alongside the road, probably even might have, you know, not bathed in a while. And Jesus uses the spit and his hands to begin to open these eyes that have been shut for so long. But he doesn't quite clearly see. He can't make out the difference between people and trees except for their movement. And so Jesus touches him a second time and he sees everything clearly. It seems to me that many of us are kind of like this man. We've met Jesus. He's opened our eyes from from years of being closed, but we still have trouble seeing people clearly. We all have lenses. We have these assumptions and, and our responses and judgments and influences about, about how we view other people. But we are called as followers of Jesus to be people who see as he sees. So scripture gives us a couple clues on how Jesus views people. Matthew 9.36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 1 Samuel 6, 7, the Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So how can we be a people who see like Christ sees? See, we've invited Jesus into our hearts, but we also need to give him our eyes. So let's look at our main text this morning. It's in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 14, to learn how Jesus saw people. If you're able, I'd invite you to stand for the reading of the gospel this morning. Luke 4, starting at 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of God given for the people of God, and we respond together by saying, thanks be to God. You could be seated. 
Let me, um, let me unpack this a little for you. Let me set the scene for you. Jesus has returned to his hometown, the town that he has grown up in. It is the Sabbath day, and, and it's probably in the morning, and he's gone to the synagogue. And, and we know that Jesus has gone to the synagogue and the other cities that he has been traveling to and visiting, but he has come home. This is his hometown. The synagogue is filled with people. The men and the sons are sitting with, on the backless benches. And in the balcony, the wives and the daughters and the sisters sit. And in the front row is, uh, is a row of elders, probably giving some, uh, getting up, but one of them, the attendant, gets up and, and maybe probably gives a little welcome and, and probably gives some announcements about, you know, the free fishing day for everybody on Saturday and, and the sacrificial barbecue that afternoon. And then he asks... Yeshua ben Yusuf, Jesus, son of Joseph, to come and to read the scripture. This is Jesus' home church. This is people love him there. They know him. They've known him since he was a boy. They probably all know him by his first name. And he gets up and he comes to the middle of the room where there's a a raised desk, kind of like a a podium. And people are excited because they have been hearing all of the things that word is trickling back about this hometown boy who has become a rabbi. And they're hearing all the things that are taking place in, in his life. And the attendant carries this heavy scroll to the podium and he hands it to Jesus. It's the scroll of the writings of Isaiah. Jesus unrolls this large scroll. And he goes to the prescribed passage for this Sabbath. Now you remember there are no chapters or verses at this point. That was, those were added later. But he comes to this passage, which we call Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 2. And he begins to read it. And he reads it in a way that is different than all of the rest. He, he reads it in a way that sounds like a proclamation. He speaks the first line, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. When he says this, it doesn't sound like he's, he's reading uh, something that's been written hundreds of years ago. He, it sounds like he's identifying with it. In fact, go, go back to verse 14, the first verse in this passage. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. The power of the Spirit was already on him. Jesus continues to read these very old words in a new way. He says, he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the freedom for the prisoners and the recovery for sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus finishes reading and he rolls up this scroll and he hands it to the attendant and he begins to walk back to his seat. And everyone is staring at him. They cannot take their eyes off of him. It got so quiet, I think you could hear a pin drop. Because they don't know what to do with what he just said. And Jesus breaks the silence with these words. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And boom. To us, those are just words. But to those in the synagogue that day, it was like an explosion. This is a slam dunk statement. What Jesus is saying uh, began to have the people begin to buzz because they know this passage. They know this passage is about the Messiah. Jesus is saying, can you believe it? This hometown kid, they can't even hardly believe it. Jesus is saying that Isaiah is talking about him. Jesus is saying that he is the Messiah and he is reading from the mission statement of the Messiah. So what is the mission statement of the Messiah? Listen carefully. 
from the book of Isaiah because it's our mission as well. First, Jesus' mission was to preach good news to the poor. In the cultural understanding of the day, if if you were rich, it was seen as God's blessing. If you were poor, it was seen as God's judgment. Jesus comes in and says, absolutely not. He turns the tables on that idea. In fact, he says to the poor, you are favored by God. It doesn't matter what economic background you come from. Jesus has good news for you. Second, Jesus' mission was to proclaim the freedom for the prisoner. Whether you are literally imprisoned or or, or spiritually imprisoned by, by choices or circumstances... Jesus has come to set you free. Third, Jesus' mission was to give sight to the blind. Again, culturally, the understanding was that if somebody was blind, it was probably because they had sinned or because their parents had sinned. So the the religious officials, when they ran across a blind man, they just figured, hey, they deserve to be blind where they're at. Jesus turned the tables on that. He came to heal and to show mercy. People who struggled physically or had been spiritually condemned. Fourth, Jesus' mission was to release the oppressed. Jesus came to set wrong things right. He came to help the helpless. He came to bring justice in places of injustice. And five, Jesus' mission was to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, which this is a reference to the Old Testament uh, year of Jubilee when slaves were freed and, and debts were forgiven. Jesus came to proclaim that if you've been enslaved by sin, if you are in debt to sin, that you can be free. Your debt can be paid by what he would do on the cross. Jesus' mission was a people-focused mission. It was an outward-focused mission. It was a mercy, compassion-driven mission. His mission was the lens that allowed him to see people. See, people are Jesus' mission, but how he sees them, he sees them through the lens of compassion. The word for compassion in the New Testament is only applied to two people, which is kind of hard to believe. In all the New Testament, the word compassion only applies to two people. The first one is the Good Samaritan. We talked about that last week. The second one is Jesus. But it's not a one-time application. We see it again in Scripture over and over again. Scripture tells us that, that Jesus felt compassion when he encountered the sick, Matthew 14, the blind in Matthew 20, the demon-possessed in Mark 9, those who had lost loved ones in Luke 7, the hungry in Matthew 15, the lonely in Mark 1, the bewildered in Matthew 9, and the list goes on and on. His lens of compassion guides his actions. His lens of compassion guides his reactions and his interactions with everyone that he met. Here's another interesting passage. If you still have your Bibles open in Luke, you can go back to to Luke chapter 7. If not, I just want you to hear this story. Luke 7, beginning at 36. says, Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. And so Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And when a woman who had lived a sinful life in the town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, said to himself, If this man was a prophet, he would know who is touching him. And what kind of woman that she is, for she is a sinner. 
And Jesus answered him. By the way, I love that. He said to himself, and Jesus answered him. Simon, I've got something to tell you. Verse 40. Tell me, teacher. He says, two men owed a certain amount of money to a lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay it back. And so he canceled the debts of both. Which do you think love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one with the bigger debt that was canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. She did not give me any water for my feet. She has wept on my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I have entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head. She's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she has loved much. But he who has not been forgiven loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Now, this is a huge passage. We could, do, we could do a month of sermons on this passage. We don't have time to unpack it. This is what I want you to see. Jesus and the Pharisee saw the same person, but they saw her radically different ways. The Pharisee looked at her through the lens of judgment, and Jesus looked at her through the lens of compassion. Everyone has different things that influence them. Everyone has different things that, that create lenses for their lives. You know, like if you're into fashion, if you're big into fashion, you might come across somebody and, and begin to ask questions. You, you might come across me and say, what is he wearing that for? Or why is his haircut the same since the eighth grade? Now, as an aside, at least I still have hair. I'm just saying that. Um, wasn't pointed at anybody in particular. If you're really into cars, you might, uh, that might affect the lens of things. You might look at somebody in the car they drive and go, I wonder why they drive that car. I wonder why they bought that model. I wonder why they got that color. If you're really into politics, perhaps you look at people and you say, how can they think that? How can they believe that? How can they do that? See, the important lenses of our life shape us. The important lenses of our life shape the questions that we ask. And you begin to think about what, what were the lenses that, that shaped Jesus? When, when somebody came along and, and was coming towards Jesus, and what, what were the questions that he began to ask in his mind? And I think scripture, and I think there's lots of examples, but I think some of the things that comes to Jesus' mind are, how can I help you? How can I show you God's love? How can I touch you with grace? How can I heal you? How can I right a wrong? How can I show you who the Father is? See, what we believe about our mission affects how we see the world. What we believe about who we're called to be affects where we spend our time. So when you're looking at the world, what do you see? A world in need? A world worth saving? A world worth serving? For that's what we must see if we're going to be a followers of Jesus' point of view. When you see people, what if we saw them more with the eyes of God? And I know that we are affected through the circumstances of our life and the lenses of our life and the jobs of our life. 
But what if we more purposely became a people who saw through the lens of compassion that Jesus used? How would it affect the questions and the priorities of our life? The musicians are going to come, and I just wanted to share this last story with you. Some of you will remember um, Joanne and Larry Strom, who were part of our church for a long time, and a number of years ago moved away to go to Missouri and, uh, and live there. Um, her job often had her uh, flying on an airplane to go different places, and, and part of her routine in getting on the airplane was she said she would do her best to get her Bose noise-canceling headphones on as quickly as possible before she had to talk to anybody uh, who, who was near her so that she could just have a moment of peace for she'd been running and going and all kinds, just a moment of quiet. I identify with that because, uh, just as an aside, I, 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 when I sit down and people talk with me for a while, and then they ask me what I do after they've told me two or three stories, and I say, oh, I'm a pastor, and they go, hey, I'm really sorry about what I said earlier, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> Joanne got on the airplane that day. I remember when she came and told me this story. She got on the airplane that day, and, and, and I don't remember what was wrong, but her, she couldn't get to her earphones. They weren't available, whatever it was, and... And the person sitting next to her began a conversation with Joanne. And in that course of that conversation, Joanne learned just how completely broken the circumstance of this person's life was. And during the course of that flight, she was able to just be the hands and feet of Jesus and extend grace and pray with this person. And from that, she changed her practice. From that point on, she would get on the airplane and she would sit down and she would immediately begin to pray for the people that were in her row. And her prayer was, oh God, help me to hear with your ears and help me to see with your eyes. This church is a very gifted group of people who have many places where we can serve Christ and we can cultivate the gift of compassion. That's just one place next week. But, and I know it'd be way easier to stay home. But God has called us to, to be a people who, who see people the way he sees them and to love like he loves. Two weeks ago, we were challenged to find someone who is hard to love in your life, and we all have, like, at least one, and love them, show them kindness in some kind of way. Last week, it was detour, to ask God, Lord, if you want to interrupt my calendar, if you want to interrupt where I'm going, I just want to serve you. This week, I wonder if we would begin to pray, God, Help me to see with your eyes. Help me to see with compassion the way that Jesus did. And that we would ask the Spirit to allow his mission to guide your vision. And that if we could see people with Christ's compassion, we will discover a love of Christ in our faith that is much more than just words, but it becomes faith in action in the world in which we live. And I wonder this to be true. What kind of impact could we make in the world in which we live, a world in which we often complain. What kind of impact could we make if we could see others with the eyes of God?